Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. This morning I'd ask that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Throughout this Christmas season, we have been looking at Jesus' genealogy, and we've been looking at it in particular through the lens of the five women that Matthew chooses to include within his genealogy. First, Tamar and Rahab, then Ruth, Bathsheba, and finally today, Mary. Now, we've done this because Matthew, in presenting this genealogy to us, draws significant attention to these women by their inclusion. You see, it wasn't typical to include women, mothers, within a genealogy like this. And we know this because we have another similar genealogy in another gospel, in Luke's gospel, that most Bible scholars believe is actually the genealogy of Mary. It shows Jesus' descent through his mother Mary. Yet, Even though it is Mary's genealogy, Luke follows the customary practice of not including the names of any of the women, including Mary herself. Matthew, though, has wanted to highlight particular aspects of the Savior's coming, of his mission, what he had come to do through each of the women that he includes. We've seen how Christmas is for prostitutes and liars through Tamar and Rahab. How Jesus come to save even those that would consider themselves unworthy of salvation. We've seen how Christmas is for the outsider, those like Ruth who were separated by nationality, by the wrong lineage, by the wrong language, by the wrong culture and customs. We saw last week how Christmas was for the bereaved, through Bathsheba who was bereaved of a husband and of a child because of sin. And how Christ has come to offer comfort and hope to those that have lost loved ones. Today, we will see finally that Christmas is for all of us through Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary has been a figure of great interest throughout church history, to say the least. The Catholic Church venerates her, placing her Essentially just a small step below Jesus himself in the heavenly hierarchy. They've referred to her as the the co-redemptrix. Even encouraging people to pray to her as someone capable of dispensing grace. Now obviously we don't esteem Mary on that level and rightfully so. Mary was herself a sinner in need of salvation by the very son that she bore into the world. We do mention her in our hymns though. We sing, Mary did you know? What child is this? And even this morning, gentle Mary laid her child. A wonderful hymn exalting Christ and his purity. But who was Mary really? And what can she teach us this Christmas morning about the Savior on the day we celebrate his birth? Ultimately, as I said, she shows us, I think, that Christmas is for all of us. And so then, as we have done each week, I would encourage you to stand together with me as we read through Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. There we read, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Achim, or Azor, pardon me, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's once again turn to the Lord in prayer. God, we come before you once more this morning so very thankful for the opportunity to celebrate this Christmas morning, the birth of our Savior, to rejoice and for good reason, because Christ was born to defeat sin and death and hell and Satan on our behalf, to do what we could not do, to purchase for ourselves a redemption, a future, an inheritance that we ourselves had no right to claim as our own. And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider your word this morning, that we would be humbled by it. And that not one person would leave this room, not knowing deep within their bones that Christmas is for all of us, that Jesus has come to save his people from their sins, and that by trusting in him, we can have hope and redemption and eternal life. Lord, may we all know that reality this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When we come here in Matthew to the birth of Jesus by Mary, what I think stands out first and foremost about her is her uniqueness from all the other women that we have mentioned. I mean, obviously the circumstances of her conceiving and bringing Jesus into the world are unique. In the history of the world, billions and billions of babies have been born. But only one has ever been born the way that Jesus was born. By a virgin, with no intimate contact between husband and wife to produce this child. So from the outset, we know this situation is far different from any other situation 
that we've encountered. For all the the things that we've seen God doing in the lives of these other women, for all of the miraculous, even things that He did in their lives, some of them allowing them to conceive out of their barrenness, none of them were able to conceive in the way that Mary herself conceived. But beyond just the miraculous conception, Mary stands in stark contrast to the other women that we've considered for three reasons. First, and sadly, Mary was the first woman that we've encountered that was not exploited in some way by men. Tamar had been wronged multiple times, first by Judah's son Onan, the brother of her deceased husband, who was obligated to produce an heir for his brother through her. And yet, whenever he went into her and whenever he attempted to perform his duty, he made sure that no conception would actually take place as a result of his act. And he too was struck dead because of his disobedience. She was then wronged by Judah, who lied to her about giving her his third son and who refused to do so when he came of age. And she was then exploited by him again when he used her as a prostitute. Rahab, We know because of her profession as a prostitute had been exploited by many, many men who had visited her for personal gratification. And while we're not told that Ruth was directly exploited in that way, it does seem that her husband was likely a wicked man because the Lord killed him and his brother and his father. They all died and left her widowed and childless. When she returns to Bethlehem, With Naomi, Boaz cautions her to stay close by his women and close by his workers. Otherwise, she ran the risk of being harassed and possibly attacked in the fields by less scrupulous men. And so it seems that that Ruth, too, was surrounded by danger at every turn. Bathsheba was exploited by a man who should have been protecting her. King David first saw her and he desired her. And then he took her without any consideration for the ramifications of his actions, how it might affect her. And as a result of his lustful impulses, Bathsheba's husband was then slain in battle by the order of King David. And her son died as punishment for David's sin. And so all of these women had experienced bereavement and difficulty and harassment and exploitation by the hands of the men in their lives that should have been protecting them. When it comes to Mary, though, we find that she is betrothed to what the Bible describes as an honorable man. Joseph is made in the same mold as his forebear, Boaz, an honorable man who seeks the welfare of the woman that he is responsible for protecting even at the risk of harm or ridicule to himself, even when by rights he had the legal recourse to divorce her, to put her away, it would have seemed to all the world when Mary became pregnant before they were officially wed that she had committed adultery, that she had cheated on him. And yet, even at the risk of harm or ridicule to himself, Joseph was an honorable man, and so he took Mary to be his wife. 
though he does not even consummate the union until she gives birth. She is protected. She is cared for. She is nurtured when these other women have experienced exploitation. Second, Mary we find is unique because she is not an outsider. Matthew makes it a point throughout this genealogy to to mention the names of foreign women. Or in the case of, of Bathsheba, to mention that she was married to a foreigner. He wants to show that all of these women have been brought in from the outside. That there was a time when they were all considered excluded. Different. Outside the people of God. But Mary... We read through her genealogy in Luke. She herself is descended from David's line. She has a royal pedigree. She is firmly entrenched within the people of God. And finally we see Mary is not childless. Now when the story begins, obviously she's childless, but for good reason. She's a young, unmarried woman. We would expect her to be childless. But all the other women that Matthew mentions in this genealogy had been unable to conceive. For whatever reason. Or had their child die. As was the case with Bathsheba. All of these other women. All four of the other women that we have considered. They have one overriding question. That is being screamed out. Through their narratives. Where is the child? Through Tamar. Through Rahab. Through Ruth. There is no child. And through Bathsheba the child dies. Where is the child to come? The seed of the woman that had been promised in Genesis 3.15. Where is the child that would secure the future and hope for these women? You see, with no child, a woman in the ancient world had no hope of a secure future. There was no hope of provision. No hope of security. There was no continuation of an inheritance. Without a child... All of the things that she had through her husband stood to be lost, passed on to another heir in his family. And so that's why why all of these other stories, as we've looked at them, they are so harrowing. Each of these other women were in such peril because they had tried to have a child. Or in the case of Rahab, had, had ample opportunity to have a child. And yet, they were all childless. Mary's story, though, answers that question, where is the child, by loudly proclaiming, here is the child. Here is the one who is to come. Here is the one that had been hoped for, the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent. All of these other women eventually had children. Obviously, they are included in a genealogy, so they eventually had a child. But this child was the one to which they were all pointing. This child was the one that they were all anticipating Mary did not have to go through a season of barrenness or bereavement like all of these other women had to in fact she conceived without any effort on her own part now Mary's uniqueness in all of these areas does not teach us that we too have to attain some level of unique qualification to be brought into God's family Indeed, all the other previous women that we've looked at show us very clearly that God's pattern is to bring people in that are considered outsiders. We've seen through these other women how God brings in the outcasts 
the abused, the lonely, the poor, the outsiders. And he incorporates them into his family, giving them a place in his own son's genealogy. But Mary's inclusion shows us here what the end result will be. Because through Mary, we see how things ought to be. How God intended them to be. You see, God never intended for there to be categories of people called outcasts or outsiders. It's because of sin and separation and division and rebellion to Him and His Word that lines were drawn, that distinctions were made, that people were classified as outsiders. God intended all people to be part of His redemptive plan. Nobody designated as an outsider. Nobody kept at arm's length. Nobody considered different or less than. Even when God called His people, Israel, when He set them apart from every other nation, it was so that they could accomplish a mission of redemption to the ends of the earth. We're told if they would have kept His law, if they would have obeyed His commands, they would have spread His word to the furthest corners of the world so that His glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That was God's purpose and His plan, even in calling Israel to be His people, to reach the world. He intended also for the husband and wife relationship, the relationship between man and woman, to flourish for the good of each individual with a protective, self-sacrificing husband. God intended this to be a place of safety, a bastion of security for women in particular. Yet we see throughout the history of the world that women are often exploited and abused, mistreated by the very men that are supposed to be protecting them. God had intended His people to be fruitful and multiply the command that He gives Adam and Eve in the garden. And yet we read time and time again that barrenness and bereavement often thwart those plans. You see, the fact that these things were not the norm, even in Jesus' genealogy, shows us just how broken our world actually is. The fact that these things in Mary's life, that that she was not exploited or abused by a man, that she was not an outsider, that she was not childless, the fact that these things are so rare shows us the pervasiveness and destructive nature of sin. Mary is unique where she should have been the norm. This should have been true for all of these women, and yet it wasn't. Because sin has robbed and taken and destroyed and broken what God had declared to be good. And so through Mary, God is showing us what it is that He has come to restore. He shows us a picture of how things are supposed to be for all of us. The second thing that we see, though, is how Mary responds to this gracious invitation from God. And we see in that response the humility of Mary, the humility of Mary. In Luke's account of Jesus' birth, after the angel tells Mary that she will be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, she simply responds in this way. In Luke chapter 2, verse 38 We read, and Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And later on in that same chapter, 
She proclaims in a hymn of praise to God for His faithfulness. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those that fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to His offspring forever. You see, Mary recognizes what God is doing for her and what God is doing through her. This is much more than God just giving her a child. This is God making good on His promise to Israel to send a serpent-crushing Redeemer, a seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed, an heir of David's throne to set and rule forever and ever. That's what God is doing through her. And Mary recognizes this. She recognizes that just as God spoke to their fathers, just as God made promises to Abraham and to David, to all of His people throughout all the ages, God is keeping His Word here and now through her. And yet she remains humble through it all. I think we would do well to learn from Mary's humility. Especially here at Christmas. Because I think we often allow subtle pride to creep in. We want to have the best Christmas light display. The best food. We want to give the best gifts. We want our children to have the best Christmas experience. We would give anything for a fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Right? That's, that's what we want. Some Christians may have even been hoping that the weather would prevent us from being able to meet today because church and worship was going to get in the way of their family traditions. Now, I know that's not true of any one of you. It's all those other Christians out there in Lexington, right? Not us. But we often live, I think, in a state quite opposite of Mary, who said, let it be to me according to your word. God, whatever you have in store for me, so be it. We instead get frustrated when things don't go as planned, when our plans get interrupted, even in the slightest bit. I mean, talk about plans getting interrupted here. Mary isn't even married. Imagine finding out that you're about to be pregnant and you've got to somehow explain that to your fiancé. Right? That, that's, a, that's a big interruption in your plans. And then, imagine being close to your time for delivery and you now have to travel 90 miles on foot to a new city where you don't know anyone because some dumb emperor in Rome wants to collect tax. Right, talk, talk about your plans being interrupted. And yet, through it all, Mary doesn't complain. She simply says, let it be to me according to your word. Lord, my life is in your hands. Whatever you want for me, 
so be it. She could have pulled rank. She could have said, God, this is your son. You want me to travel 90 miles to Bethlehem? No, I don't think so. But we don't see that. We see humility. We see obedience. She is happy to be a servant to God to accomplish His purposes. We're not told, by the way, that God reveals to Mary and Joseph that this was His plan, necessarily. We don't know how much they understood about what God was doing, how He was orchestrating the events of their lives to bring them to the very place where His Son needed to be born. They simply obey, even though they may not fully understand. Maybe today we need to think less about how we can accomplish what we want this Christmas and think more about how we can be humbly obedient to God and to His Word. About how we can worship Him and rejoice at this incredible provision for us and not become frustrated when He alters our plans. Finally, though, we need to ask perhaps the most important question about Mary. Why? Why Mary? Why was she favored? And as we ask this question, I think we will learn how we can receive God's favor. When Gabriel is sent to her, these are the first words out of the angel's mouth. He says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Two wonderful proclamations. Mary is favored and God is with her. Yet why is Mary favored? Why is the Lord with her? What had she done to receive this honor? And how can we similarly experience this favor from the Lord? Now, I mean, most of us probably aren't looking to miraculously conceive this Christmas, right? But we would like to experience the nearness and favor of God. And that's exactly the good news of Christmas, which Mary's inclusion here in Jesus' genealogy demonstrates for us. God's favor, God's presence, it can be attained by all of us. We can all experience that. This pronouncement given to Mary, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, can be a greeting that we exchange between one another because we can have confidence that God is with us and that we are favored by Him. Remember Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Now as Philip read earlier this morning, we already know that Emmanuel means what? God with us. God with us. So Jesus came not just so that the Lord would be with Mary... Not just so that the Lord would be with a select few, but with all of us that trust in Him. God is with us through Jesus Christ. And not only that, not only did Jesus come to be with us so that God may be with us, but to bestow God's favor on all those who believe in Him. He told us this was the mission of His ministry in Luke chapter 4. When he begins his ministry, he preaches an introductory sermon in the town of Nazareth. And this is what we're told about that 
about that sermon. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're told He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. A few short words. This is shorter than any sermon I've ever preached. I know you all believe that, right? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is telling the people in Nazareth that day is that he has come to proclaim to a lost and dying world the year of God's favor has arrived. God's favor has come to his people. God is with them now. God has come to redeem them, to lift them up out of their brokenness, out of their misery, out of their sin, out of their grief. He's come to restore what had been lost at Eden. Jesus had come to bring God's favor to His people. And He tells them that day in Nazareth that Scripture has been fulfilled in Him. He is the embodiment of God's favor sent to men. Just as the angels proclaimed in the skies above Bethlehem the night that He was born, peace and goodwill toward men. God's favor now exists toward all of mankind through Jesus Christ. And so Mary doesn't then show us that God's favor and presence rests on a select few, but on all who trust in Jesus Christ, the Son whom she bore. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's for all of us. The invitation is open to all to come and receive the favor of God, receive the presence of God through His Holy Spirit living in you. Come and receive the eternal life that Christ has promised to all those that believe. Come and find the joy of an abundant life that Christ came to give us. Christmas is for all of us. It's for you. It's for me. It's for the shepherds out in the fields, for the prostitutes and liars. It's for the grieving. It's for the kings of the earth. It's for the outsiders, the foreigners. It's for those that seem to have their lives put together. And it's for those that know that we really do not. There's absolutely nothing then this morning standing between you and the favor of God and the presence of God in your life other than perhaps your own stubbornness and refusal to repent and trust the Lord. If you have trusted the Lord, then you have every reason to rejoice this Christmas. Your life may not look like Mary's. You may not be unique. Sadly, you may be similar to everyone else in the world who, like every other woman in this genealogy, was broken and ruined and battered by sin. Who've experienced the sorrow of grief and abuse. But like Mary, 
you can rejoice in God's presence in your life. You can rejoice in His favor given to you through Jesus Christ. You can celebrate that He has remembered the humble. That He has set at liberty the captives. That He has filled the hungry with good things. And that He's kept His promise to provide salvation to His people. The good news about Christmas is that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've experienced in your past, no matter your present, Christmas is for all of us. Even those of you still here unrepentant in your sins, unredeemed, covered in the shame of your own sin. Jesus was born so that you would not have to stay that way. Jesus was born to die. So that you might experience abundant life. So that you might experience redemption and hope and salvation and forgiveness. And I can think of no better time for you to experience that than on Christmas morning. And so I urge you, do not leave here today without putting your trust in Him. If you need help doing that, if you need to know and understand the gospel, then please come in just a moment and let me know that you need to hear the good news of Jesus. That you need to know how this can be applied to your life. The invitation is open for all of us today. To experience the joy of Christ. Don't go another day without having done so. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the hope that is embodied in Mary. Knowing, Lord, that we may not have the same unique qualities of Mary. Sadly, she was unique simply because she had not experienced the brokenness and tragedies of this world in the way that so many of the other women in Jesus' genealogy had. And so, Lord, for that reason, we may not be able to identify with her as readily. And yet, Lord, your salvation is open and available to all. We know that Mary, despite her unique circumstances, still was a sinner in need of redemption. And similarly, we too all need that redemption. Lord, I praise you for those in this room who have already experienced it. For those who have trusted in Christ and have experienced forgiveness for sins. Lord, for those that have not yet experienced that forgiveness, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would understand that you would even now through your Holy Spirit enlighten their hearts. Draw them to yourself in such a way, Lord, that they cannot refuse but to submit themselves to Christ. And to call out in faith which you yourself supply. Lord, I pray that that would be true for those that do not yet know you. Lord, as we continue to celebrate the birth of our Savior today, let us do so with full joy and assurance, knowing that Christmas is for all. The invitation is open to all. There are none who are excluded, who would come humbly and put their hope in Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com 
or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.